This morning, as we uh, begin this sermon, I just want to start off with a little admission, and that is that this entire season, Emily and I have been rabid viewers of The Bachelorette. Anybody, anybody, Bachelorette, Bachelorette Nation? Okay, okay, I'm glad that y'all can admit it here. Now, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, with The Bachelorette, The Bachelor, any of those shows or not, uh, but the premise is basically this. There is one woman, Becca The Bachelorette, and there are 28 guys who are trying to win her heart, and one of them is likely going to propose at the end, and the season is wrapping up this week. And now, I'm not a regular viewer of this show. I haven't watched a season of this show before this one. I've been doing some research. I've been doing research for sermons. You know, I've been trying to do sermon research. And, you know, it's interesting throughout the season to watch all of the different dynamics on the show because, as you can imagine, things are very interesting because the guys are always trying to one-up one another. They're always trying to impress uh, the woman, Becca, and then you have the cameras in the mix, and you have all of this stuff, and things are getting very complicated very quickly. And as I've watched the show this season, you know, w with an observant eye, you know, kind of step back taking notes, um, one of the things I've been reminded of over and over again is something I already knew, and that is that relationships are complicated. Relationships are complicated. Amen, right? I mean, on the show, the relationships are complicated between all of the guys because at first they're friends, and then they're enemies, and then they're trying to act like they're friends so they can win Becca's heart. And then Becca's relationship with all of the guys is complicated because does she say, I love you, to all of them, to just one of them, to a few of them? And then you have the cameras in the mix, you have social media, you have our celebrity culture, and you also have the fact that Becca was engaged right before she went on the show, but her fiancé broke off the engagement. And so this is a very complicated relationships. And as I've been thinking about it, I'm thinking, why am I watching this show? And why do so many millions of people watch this show? Because they're super popular. A lot of y'all call it trash TV, right? That's what my parents call it. Yeah, everyone's like, yes, trash TV. So why do people watch so much of it? And as I've been thinking about that question, I think one of the reasons why we watch so much of this is because a lot of the relationships in our own lives are complicated. And so it helps us to feel like, you know what, we're not alone. But then the second thing is, we watch it and we realize, you know what, I'm glad my relationships aren't this complicated and aren't this bad. And it makes us feel a little bit better about our own lives. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we take a step back from all of the different relationships we have, they're all a little bit complicated. Relationships with our spouses, with our children, children with parents, students, teachers, our relationship with our money, with our coworkers, all of the different relationships we have in life can be a little bit complicated. And if we're honest, a lot of them need a change. A lot of them probably need to become a little bit different. A lot of them, somewhere along the way, need a shift. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this next sermon series throughout the month of August. This idea of different shifts that we can make in our relationships, in the many relationships that we have in our lives. And so we're going to be in this sermon series looking at different shifts in all these different areas. And this morning, we're beginning by looking at one shift. One shift that I believe has the power to change every single relationship in your life. It can change the relationship you have with the people that you see every single morning, if that's co-workers or a spouse or other family members. It has the ability 
to shift the relationships you have with strangers and people you don't yet know. It has the ability to shift your relationship with your finances, with all of your stuff. This one shift can change every other relationship in your life. But as we're starting off talking about this one shift, I just want to let you know that this one shift is actually the hardest one to make. It's not an easy one. And the shift that we're going to be talking about this morning is a shift in our relationship with ourselves. And it's actually a shift or a change in how we see ourselves. And now when a lot of us think about who we are in our life and we kind of have this self-image, some of us have a very positive self-image, right? Some of us feel like our life is great, we're great, everybody should think we're great, and you know what? Life is good. If that's you, you probably don't know that you feel that way, but you might. Other people can tell you. Others of us have a very low self-image of ourselves, might live with a lot of shame, feel like we're unworthy of love. We might kind of, when we think about ourselves and view ourselves, just have this very negative self-image. And a lot of us are kind of somewhere in between the two of these. And how you see yourself might not seem like a big deal to you. It might seem like something quite small, but actually can affect everything in your life. Because how we see ourselves makes up a great part of our identity. And everything we do in life flows from our identity. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at how we see ourselves. And to kind of help us look at that, um, we're going to be reflecting on some words of a, a great theologian, Henry Nouwen, who said that there are five common ways that we see ourselves. There are five common ways that we kind of get our self-image and look at ourselves. And in the bulletin, you'll see there's some blanks if you want to fill those in. Um, but Nouwen says these are kind of identities that we take on. And I'm going to walk through these five identities because a lot of us end up viewing ourselves um, in one of these ways. Some of us in kind of all of these ways, some of us in one of these major ways. And the first way he says that many of us view ourselves is when we look in the mirror and we kind of have a self-image, we view ourselves as this. I am what I have. I am what I have. And so when we think about ourselves and our life, we think we are what we have. And our culture tells us this regularly. And so when we look at our life and we look at how much money we have, we think, you know what? I am middle class, right? A lot of us might kind of self-describe that way. Others of us, might feel like we struggle more financially and we don't have a lot. And so maybe we view ourselves and we tell ourselves, you know what, I am poor. Maybe you get the new iPhone, iPhone 10, right? Amazing camera on it. When you get that iPhone 10, you think, you know what, now that I have this iPhone 10, I am, I'm elite, right? I'm elite. I'm doing pretty good in life now that I have this iPhone 10. And if you notice, marketers love using this to help sell us products. And so they say, you know what? Hey, if you have this kind of car, then you're successful. Then you've made it. Maybe you, you buy a home and look, you don't have to have a mortgage. You paid cash on it. Then you tell yourself, you know what? I'm doing really great in life. I am successful. A lot of us 
view ourselves this way. This is how we kind of view our life. I am what I have. And here's the thing is when we have a lot of stuff and things are going pretty well and our bank accounts are good and the economy's up, we tend to have a pretty good self-image and we tend to feel pretty good about ourselves. But then when our stuff goes away, maybe we don't have as much money, maybe something bad happens in our lives and some of our stuff is gone, then the way we view ourselves, our self-image goes way down. And so it kind of fluctuates up and down. And if this is the way we view ourselves, I am what I have, then our temptation in life is to constantly be getting and obtaining more and more stuff, right? We're always tempted to buy more and to have more because we think if we do, then we're going to feel good about ourselves and feel good in life. That's one of the first ways that many of us see ourselves. But a second way that a lot of us see ourselves is this. I am what I do. I am what I do. And and look, if you're in our culture, you know this, right? Because when you meet somebody new, what's one of the most common questions that people ask of you? Hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? What do you do for a living? And so, you know, if it's somebody like me, they're like, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? Jonathan, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Then they run away. Or... (laughs) Or they run to me and they cry and they hug me, right? And they're like, wow, I've been praying to meet you at this Kmart. Um, Kmarts aren't even around, are they? Kmart's still around? No? Okay, no, I don't think so. Um, Right, but we are what we do. Our culture tells us that a lot of times. And this is the way a lot of us primarily view ourselves. And so we say, you know what, I am a firefighter. That's a large part of my image. Or maybe... Some people here, when you have to answer that question, you say, you know what, I am unemployed. It's not as positive of a word. Maybe I am a pastor. I am a teacher. Some people up here, maybe you answer this question, you say, you know what, I am disabled. A lot of us have different answers to this question, but a lot of us view ourselves through this lens. We view ourselves in this way, that we are what we do, and if we like our job and we feel like our job's going well, then we feel good. But if we become unemployed, something happens, maybe we don't like our job, then our self-image is kind of down here. So that's the second way a lot of us see ourselves. I am what I do. And then there's a third way. And now this third way is a way that I often see myself. And that is this, that I am what other people say Or think about me. I am what other people say or think about me. And living this way, it can be tiring, right? Because every day you think, you know what? Okay, if I post this on Facebook and social media, what are other people going to think or say about me? Okay, if if I say this to somebody or if I'm honest with my friend, what are they going to think or say about me? If I speak up in this meeting, what are they going to think or say about me? And you're constantly having to manage other people's expectations and try all of this. And and you kind of know that you live out of this way. If you're like me and this happens, you know what? You get a hundred pieces of encouragement. You get all this great feedback. And then one person says one negative thing about you. And you know what? You feel this big. Because the primary way you view yourself is I am what other people say or think about me. And so if somebody says, you know what? You're ugly. You internalize that. And you keep it inside of you. If somebody says you're smart, you know what? You're going to go with that. If somebody says you're dumb, you're going to internalize that as well. 
And this is a very challenging way to live because when people are saying positive things about us, we're feeling good. But then when people say negative things, which we don't really have control over, then our self-image plummets. And it's this roller coaster in life where we're constantly trying to control other people, manage expectations, and try to please everybody. But that's a very common way we view ourselves. And the fourth is this, that I am nothing more than my worst moment. I'm nothing more than my worst moment. And so we tell ourselves, you know what? I'm bankrupt. I'm divorced. I'm unlovable. I'm a liar. I'm terrible at relationships and more. And a lot of people view themselves in this way, have a very low self-image. They live with a lot of shame. They feel like they're unlovable. They're unworthy of love. But this is one way a lot of people view themselves. And the other one is this. The last one is that I am nothing less than my best moment. You see, a lot of us put our identity in our successes in life. But that can be very fickle because our successes don't always last and guess what? Someone can always outdo us in our success. And so this is a very dangerous place to put our identity as well. Really, all of these five ways that we see ourselves are dangerous because, look, there's a lot of this stuff that we, we, we can't control. But we try to control all of this stuff. There's a lot of this stuff that we can't manage, but we try to manage it. And it causes us to live with a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. We waste a lot of energy viewing ourselves in these ways. Which is why Henry now, and he calls these five false identities. Because while there might be some truth in, in some of this up here for you, they're not the truest things about you. They're not the deepest truths about us. Because our true identity doesn't come from all of these things. It actually comes from somewhere else. And so what we need is a shift. We need a shift in how we see ourselves. And the shift that can change everything is a shift in which we stop seeing ourselves as the world sees us and we start seeing ourselves as God sees us. That's the shift that's very difficult to make. To stop seeing ourselves as the world sees us and to start seeing ourselves as God sees it, because our identity isn't I am what I do, I am what I have, uh, I am what other people think about me. It's none of those things. Our true and deepest identity is I am who God says I am. You are who God says you are. And this is because God is your creator. He is the redeemer of the world. He is the sustainer of the world at every single moment. And so God is your creator. He's the one who knows who you truly are. And he doesn't want the way he views you to just be another thing on this board among all of these other many things. No, what we need is a conversion. We need a shift. We need a change. We need to stop viewing ourselves in all of these ways. And we need to start viewing ourselves in the way that God sees us. And so if we want to begin to see how God sees us, the best place to go is Scripture. God's Word 
given to us to help guide our lives. And so when we go to Scripture and we open up the Bible, from the very beginning, we begin to get a picture of who God says that we are, our true identity through Him. And so we find this in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female He created them. And then later Paul echoes this when he writes this in Ephesians. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so if you were to sum up kind of what what these writers are saying here, we could say this. I am God's masterpiece. I am created in the image of God. Please excuse my terrible handwriting. But you know what? My identity is not my handwriting, so I'm not ashamed that I have terrible handwriting. That's okay. We are God's masterpiece, and we're created in God's image. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That you are God's unique masterpiece? I mean, a lot of us view ourselves as mistakes or ugly, like we have no purpose. But the truth is that we are uniquely created by God. We're God's masterpiece. We're created in His image. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. And this can be hard for some of us to believe. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's masterpiece. Y'all don't sound very confident. Not a lot of confidence in this room in that. You are God's masterpiece. You are uniquely and wonderfully created in the image of God. That's who you are. That's who God says you are. Not all those things that were up here earlier. That's one of the truest things about you. And God, who is your creator and who is the ruler of the entire cosmos. He sees your past, he knows your present, and he also can see your future. And being created in the image of God means many things, but one of the things it means is that we've been created with a measure of freedom to make free choices. And God knows that we haven't always honored him with our choices. We haven't always loved other people who were created in his image. We haven't always been obedient to him or found our identity in who he says we are. Look, he knows that we have sinned and fallen short. Paul says it this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what we find in the story of scripture is that because of our sins, another aspect of who we are is that we are in need of redemption. We are people created in the image of God, but because of the decisions in our life, because of the sin and the ways we've walked away from God and hurt other people created in His image, we are in need of redemption. That's the bad news. But the good news is that the story of the Bible from beginning to end is God's great story of redemption. So God calls Abraham to form a great nation to help redeem the world, to spread his love to the world. And the nation of Israel, that's who they are. They're a light to the nations. The prophets constantly call people back to God. 
And then in the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live, to die, and to rise again so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be forgiven and receive salvation and new life. This is what we find in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were in need of redemption. For it is by grace that you have been saved. That's who we are. And I don't know if you caught some of those words there, but we are loved. We are loved by God. And it also says that we are made alive. We're made alive through Jesus Christ and we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Those are all true parts of our identity. And then we also find as we keep reading throughout the Bible, we keep finding all sorts of things about who we are in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven people. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. And he will forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, they are made new. They are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And here's the thing. This list could go on and on and on. Because all of these things are the truest things about us. These are what God says about us. All of the other stuff are lies. We are children of God. Loved by God, created by God, redeemed by God. Just like God the Father said of His Son, Jesus Christ, at His baptism, He says over you, You are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. That's who you really are. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe because there's all these other voices in the world. There's all these other people shouting at us. There's all this other stuff that's telling us to get our identity in other places. But that is the good news. And I struggle with viewing myself this way on a daily basis. And, and here's the thing. You're going to struggle if you try on your own power on a daily basis as well. But the good news is also this, that Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. That the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you or me. Because another thing that's true about us is we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we're able to make this shift. We're begin to able to see ourselves the way God sees us. And it's when we open up God's word and we read it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we gather together in groups of other people in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we encourage one another with these identities, it's then that that shift begins to take deep root in our hearts. And when this begins to take root in your heart and you begin waking up every morning seeing yourself in this way, that's when things begin to change because it's then that you're able to stop worrying so much about what other people think about you. It's then you're able to not receive your identity from your bank account anymore. It's then you're able to not try to manage and control everything going on around you. It's then that you can begin living as God created you to be. Someone who is forgiven, who goes out and shares forgiveness with other people. Someone who is loved unconditionally. 
who can then go share that unconditional love with other people. Someone who has been made new. Someone who knows who they are in God's eyes. Someone who can go and share that same truth with other people. A few years ago, Emily and I went and heard a woman named Christine Kane speak. And if you're not familiar with Christine Kane, she's a, a speaker and a writer. And she was at this gathering and she told about her life growing up. And how she grew up in one of the poorest areas of Australia. How she was abused from the ages of 3 to 15. How later in life she found out that she was adopted and that her parents didn't want her when she was little. And now on her birth certificate there wasn't even a name, it was just a number. And so she talks about how for so many years she viewed herself in these ways. Negative ways. She viewed herself through those other identities. And she thought she was worth nothing. And that her life was kind of hopeless. But thankfully, somewhere along the way, she had an encounter with God. And the way she began to view herself began to shift. It began to change. And she began to discover from God's word who she really was in God's eyes. And she realized that she was God's beloved child. That she was forgiven. That she was made new. That she wasn't beholden to any of those old images she had for herself. And so when she and her husband started their own family... They wanted to raise their daughter in a way where she would always know who she was in God's eye. And so they had a little daughter named Catherine Bobby. I don't know if that's an Australian name or what. But her name was Catherine Bobby. And they would tell her from her earliest days, you know what, little Catherine Bobby? You are the head. You are not the tail. Catherine Bobby, you are a leader. You are not a follower. Catherine Bobby, you are the righteousness of Christ. You have been saved by Jesus Christ. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. They began to repeat those things over and over to her. And they began to tell her, you are who God says you are. And Christine tells the story that one day, when her daughter was at school, when she was five years old, the teacher relayed to her that a little boy came up to her. And she was walking, minding her own business, and the little boy grabbed her stuffed animal from her. He grabbed it out of her hands and he said, Catherine Bobby, you are ugly and you are dumb. And the teacher told Christine that little Catherine Bobby puffed up her chest. She took back her bear and she said, no, I'm not. My daddy says I'm smart and I'm beautiful and I am who my daddy says I am. And then she walked out of the room and did her own thing the rest of the day. And Christine said that when she heard that story about her daughter, she was so proud. She was so proud because she knew who her daddy said she was. And Christine has dedicated her life to making sure people know who their daddy, who their heavenly father says they are as well. And that's my hope for you this morning, that as you walk out of here, when all the lies of the world and people are coming at you, and the, con the consumerism and the advertisements are all shouting at you other things, when they're trying to take away your joy and take away all these things from you, I hope that you'll be able to stand up and say, no, my father says I am a masterpiece. 
My father says I am created in his image. My father says that I am made new. My father says I am forgiven. My father says that I am loved. My father says I am his child. That's my hope for you. That you'll be able to take back everything people are trying to take from you and live from your true identity. Amen. Thank you.